everyone, it's Kahan. Welcome to the first episode of the show. We're so honored to have Sarah Palmer sitting with us today. Sarah is a photographer based in New York. She has been teaching in many places, including Parsons Schools of Design, the Pratt Institute, and International Center of Photography. And she's the 2011 Aperture Portfolio Prize winner. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I was going to ask you to briefly introduce your works, but then I was thinking how the art world operates today. Like the artists need to have a clear vision in terms of what they're doing, and should be able to talk about the work in such a authoritative voice. And I remember in one of your past interviews, you said that you like the works to have a life of their own. So my question here is that. Do you think you can fully comprehend the works now that they have a life of their own? I don't quite know what that means. Fully comprehend work.、Uh, I think that when you make work and it goes into the world, whether you want it to or not, it does what the world wants it to do, or what other people want it to do, or not necessarily want it to do, but it becomes its own thing. It's not necessarily. The work doesn't care what you want it to do, <laughs> is what I'm saying. So I just met with a bunch of seniors who, for their the the end of the year thesis critiques, and you know everyone I met with was saying, "Well, my work is about this and this and this." And for almost everyone, I I said, "Well, why are you putting so much on the work?" I think oftentimes when we say. Our work is supposed to do one thing. We're setting it up for failure. I think sometimes artwork can affect people in a way that they don't even realize at first. Meaning, sometimes you hate something when you first <laughs> experience it, or watch a film, or or see a show, and you can't stop thinking about it. And then you realize maybe you actually love it, or maybe even though you don't like it, you respect it.、Mm-hmm. I think that. It's it's really interesting to think of the way art functions in the world, and I I often think about I am a parent, and I think about how the work that I make, just like my children, once it's out of my studio or out of my body, it is going to encounter other work and other people and do things that I might not want it to do, or or I'm not I I, I really try not to control what I want、mm-hmm. from my work. With that said, obviously, I don't want my work to be completely misconstrued and, you know, and read in a very confusing way. But I, I,、um, I do want my work to raise questions to people and and to make people question their own relationship with images. So, is it safe to say that you can draw a circle and say that this is what the works have touched on, but the minute you name what the thing is, it's over because. It's like putting away all the other possibilities. Sure, I think that it can limit the work. I, I, I mean, that, photography is interesting, and I actually don't totally consider myself a photographer because I think that's misleading. Photography is, by its nature, a representational medium, and I don't really care that much about representing the world. In fact, my work resists that and pushes against it, and. Creates confusing juxtapositions intentionally, and、um, so I think a documentary story can talk about a specific subject. And I look at, for example, Susan Mycelis's pictures of the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, and I think the best pictures that she made 
transcend the subject and become fascinating as images on so many levels, but they also do tell a specific story and they can be put on the story. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that, or, you know, in a, an editorial portrait of Barack Obama is inherently about Barack <laughs> Obama and about presidents and about, you know, African Americans and all these other things. But I do think there is, photography is a challenging medium for me because it it's representational. And I don't want my, my pictures to be abstractions either but I want there to be conceptual openness or an abstraction of ideas or, I mean, let's go back to the word poetic. I mean, I think that in poetry, sorry, not poetics, actually poetry, in, in the poetry that I respond to the most, there is an openness to the text and to the ideas and to the vi visuals in the text and the sort of lyricism of the text that allows for an ongoing conversation mm. with the work. And that's what I'm interested in my work doing. Whether it does it for someone or not is an interesting thing. Um, everyone has a different relationship to all everything that they see. So yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way to make something that everyone is going to like. So it's kind of like a, like a, play around the word ambiguity or the concept of it? Sure. Ambiguity is, is I think, a really interesting word with photography, which is often unambiguous, it seems. If you look at something and you're able to identify a subject, it can seem truthful, truthful. like like a representation of reality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, this is not a new conversation, photography's relationship to truth or yeah. falsehood or f photographs versus photo illustrations. But it's not also a conversation that I care that much about personally with my own work because it's very obviously not, I'm not trying to mimic reality at all. Mm -hmm. It's just very separate from that. So I've been thinking about how great works are usually the results of long-term contemplation and were made by people who have years of art education, which makes the work very complex, but also very elusive to people who don't have um, the, cap uh, the knowledge capable of understanding the photograph. You think that um, all good photographs are made by people with experience? I guess, let me put it this way. I think that everyone can make a good photograph once in a while, but it's the body of work that accounts for a great photographer. And I think that, for example, your works are definitely not the easiest to grasp. Maybe no one gets my work. Maybe I don't get my work. Maybe there is nothing to get. Maybe there is no there there in my work. Maybe it is just purely visual. Who knows? I think my work has gotten better, I hope, over the years <laughs> that I've been had a studio practice, but um, I think that is the the. I guess the reason I questioned what you were saying is because I do think that a lot of people can make good photographs, and I think that's actually a crisis of photography right now. Is this visual literacy of everyone because everyone has a camera all the time, and we talk about this in a lot of my classes. I'm sure we talked about it in the poetics class that you were in. 
it is really challenging, I think, for photography students right now to be in this field, entering this field with an education, when there are a lot of people who think that they don't, that it's not something where you really need an education because we all see Instagram and we all can imitate or emulate these quote unquote good pictures. And no one wants to pay photographers anymore. Everyone's looking for content, but not, but it's all advertising money. It's a really tricky time. This is something that I discovered when I was going over your older works that you made around 2008, the landscapes. And this goes back to the interview thing we mentioned earlier. I think your teacher was saying that you need to put yourself into the works. It was actually Susan Kismarek from MoMA, the curator. I met with her, and I was at Photo España in um, Madrid. They have a portfolio review for sort of quote unquote emerging photographers, and I. It's a juried thing, so I submitted and I ended up participating, and it was a really interesting experience. And I met with, you know, curators from the Reina Sofia Museum in Madrid and the Foam Photography Museum in um, Amsterdam, even though I. And would end up showing work there in 2011. It was a show curated by an American, so not by Foam or Colette Olaf from Foam. But it, Susan Kismarek from Momo is the one actually who, and you know, a lot of people who had met with her were really freaked out. She's very direct, and I actually really value directness, but it can be very intense. So, and I think it might have been my last meeting, and I met with her and I showed her my work, and now I'm sort of. Embarrassed to think about the work that I brought with me to Spain because I was, it was, a year after grad school, so I was kind of emerging from this grad school time, and I thought I was much more sophisticated than I was, and I, you know, my work was feels so naive to me right now, um, and I at the time was in denial about any gender playing a role in my work, even though, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, and my parents are very. Liberal and always had a lot of gay friends, and my dad is a poet, and they have painter friends and dancers, and my mom's an architect, and they have lots of gay friends, and I just sort of thought I was a post-feminist. I thought you didn't have to identify yourself as a feminist, and I thought it didn't matter that I was a woman making landscape photographs. And Susan Kismarek didn't talk to me about that at all, but she said to me, she said, "Sure, these are beautiful photographs, but who gives a shit?" She said, "I don't see you in the work. I don't know, and I didn't know what that meant. And it's taken me a lot of years to sort of figure out what that, to figure out what that meant. And and I actually think it's a really a meaningful thing because you know at the time I was like, oh, but I I really don't like identity work. It's not. It seems so sort of direct and obvious to me. But I realized that I I was evading this part of myself, and I think I had to sort of evolve." Into understanding that photography could transcend its representationality or its representational nature. For me, really, it was about coming back to the studio and starting to. I got a studio space either right before that or soon after that, just to at least put my stuff and make my work.、Um, and actually, having a space really allowed me to re-invite in the poetry. That I had always had always really influenced the way that I thought.、Um, as an undergrad at Vassar, I studied poetry and I wrote my thesis on、um, 
this epic poem by H.D. called Trilogy, and um, H.D. continues to have a strong influence on my work, as well as um, Robert Duncan, who was a good friend of my father's and was very influenced by H.D., um, and as well as Emily Dickinson and um, William Blake. I mean, a lot of people over the years have fed into my work, and, and I had to allow the text to come in, even though it didn't come literally in to the work. Mm -hmm. So that's a roundabout <laughs> sort of explanation of that. But, but for me, it was really about allowing myself to be whole in my interests and to let in all of the things I was interested in, if that makes sense. And also, frankly, to acknowledge that I was a woman making these landscape photographs, which is, you know, traditionally a man's territory, or at least in the history of photography, mm -hmm. and sort of push against the canon that I had been. But the, you know, the traditional photographic canon, which I think is really such a subjective idea of what the history of photography is, yeah. this Western male point of view. Um, since you're already talking about that you're this woman making landscape works, which in itself should be considered to be a very re something that rebels against what's traditionally thought of as a man's job. And why would the curator at MoMA said that no one gives a shit? It wasn't that no one cared about the landscape photographs. She just said, oh, basically, I think her point was that Every, a lot of people make good photographs. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, it's even more so. Now, that was 2009. It was before Instagram, yeah. before everyone had a f camera on their phone. Mm -hmm. um, but there was already the sense of the ubiquity of images and the ubiquity of this visual literacy, photographic literacy that everyone thinks they have. Mm -hmm. So I do think there there is some truth to that. I mean, any person with a sense of how pictures should look and a decent camera can make a so-called good picture. Mm -hmm. So w what sets apart the really interesting pictures? Mm -hmm. I would never claim to be a great photographer, specifically. I don't think I'm a great portrait photographer. I don't know how to direct subjects like that. I'm not a great street photographer, you know, I'm not capturing these decisive moments. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I make really interesting visual work in the studio, which happens to be photography in some ways. Um, and I am very influenced by the history of photography, and I love the medium of photography, and I love teaching photography, and I use strobes, and I shoot digital and large format, and I'm actually very good with Photoshop and all of those technical things, the tools, but I think in the end, I don't know how much it matters that mm -hmm. my work is photography. So going on top of what we're saying about poetry, I think what makes it great is the musicality it carries and the openness in meaning. So do you think that poetry and photography can go hand in hand with musicality gets completely lost in photographs. Can you rephrase that? I'm a little bit confused about what you're saying um, about musicality. Yeah, so I was taking this poetry class and I think that 
uh, words that starts with M like moon or L like luminate.、Uh, it's very smooth and soft.、Um, words that start with B like bark or P park. It's very aggressive and kind of in your face. So that's the musicality you can carry out through the poem. That's interesting.、Um, I had. I mean, I think about the lyricism of text a lot,、um, and the sort of the sound of words and the juxtaposition of words, and also the images that they create, the words create. But I think that's a really interesting thing. I think that in my work, I actually am very interested in combining these soft and hard edges, and I think you could see that. As a type of lyricism, even though the photographs are literally mute, they do not have a sound or a sort of voice to read. But I create a lot of hard shadows、mm-hmm. in the work, and there is combination of soft flesh or pleated curtains or smooth stone, and then really hard shadows that. I do think there is something I can't quite put my finger on it, but something that relates to lyricism there, perhaps,、yeah. perhaps not. That's what I I think the the openness of that is very interesting. Also, like、um, since you've been creating these collage works for over how many years? Eight or ten years now? I guess.、Um, Sort of since two thousand nine, so I guess around ten years. But I, collage is a strong word. I'm not offended by it, but to me, a collage is fixed, and these are never fixed. There's a sort of unfixedness to them,、okay. which is the reason that I don't call them collage.、Mm-hmm. I sort of think of them more as assemblage, so they are kind of assembled,、uh-huh. or sometimes by me, and sometimes just because when I work, I'm a little bit messy. Kind of a lot bit messy <laughs> sometimes. You know, there's a. I have materials in bins, and they, the materials emerge from the bins, and there's, you know, maybe I'm making something on the floor, or on the wall, or on the table, but then there's other juxtapositions happening just because of the mess or something that's put aside, or even a print of mine that's on top of another stack of prints. So, I, I find the word collage misleading a little bit. Not, I don't. I love collage. I'm not offended by it. I just think it's misleading. Part of what's really interesting to me is to have a so let's say the image starts with、um, uh, something that's cut out from a magazine and a you know Polaroid and a fabric background, and they're put together on the floor, and maybe the The thing that's cut out from a magazine is a curtain, and maybe it's raised up on something so that it casts a shadow.、Mm-hmm. So let's say that's the beginning, and that's a photograph, and I shoot that photograph with a strobe so the shadow gets cast the how I want it to get cast, etc. So then maybe I print that print, and then I have that print, and maybe that print is on the table and is sort of having. Another relationship with something else that's on the table. Maybe it's an another print of mine, or maybe it's the cutout curtain again. So maybe that goes back in a second time. So there's this repeating of materials, and there's this multiple pass 
thing that happens where there's oftentimes several rounds of shooting and then printing and then putting the print back in and reshooting, ed adjusting it again. The first artist book I made was called Waves because of that repetition. Mm -hmm. So a wave, you know, any kind of wave is something that repeats but is slightly different each time perhaps can be, or like the ocean waves are slightly different each time. Mm -hmm. And also as a reference to Virginia Woolf's The Waves and this, you know, novella by Bei Dao, this uh, Chinese poet called Waves, but also just the idea of waves and this repetition of things essentially for emphasis. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out Sarah's work at sarahpalmer.net and stay tuned for the next episode.